This episode is sponsored by Anchor, the official host of Wellness and Wanderlust. Anchor is the easiest way to create your dream podcast. With Anchor, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other popular podcast apps. You can even make money from your podcast using Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop with everything you need to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 80 of Wellness and Wanderlust. I hope you're having an incredible week, and I'm really excited that you're here, whether you are brand new to the show or a longtime listener. Thank you so much for joining us and for being part of this amazing community. Today's episode focuses on a topic that many of us have struggled with at one point or another. We are talking about all things intuitive eating. Our guest for this week is Samantha Sherman, a diet recovery coach who helps women break free from emotional eating and binge eating. In our conversation, we discuss how we can destigmatize the foods we eat and get to a place of food freedom. We also discuss the principles of intuitive eating, body neutrality, and getting away from diet culture in a world that's still very much wrapped up in what we look like. It is such an important conversation that I know you're going to enjoy. So without further ado, let's dive in and hear from Sam Sherman. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course. This is definitely a topic that is much needed for so many of us. So before we really dive in, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your wellness journey? Yeah, love this question. So my wellness journey started when in high school. I, or shall I say, I thought it was my wellness journey. In high school, there's a lot of or at least I guess I can only speak from my own experience of wanting to fit in. And I grew up in the 90s, just for context, and all of the magazines and the actresses and kind of painting this picture of what health looks like, and then also what it means to be accepted and what you look like and what that means to be accepted in society and the people around you. And so, you know, I was eating healthy and everything I was doing, I look back now and can see how it was not truly a wellness journey. And it was really starting some unhealthy behaviors. And so I can look back and notice restricting my food and just little things like those hundred calorie packs and the protein bars that were around my house and Just all sorts of things that started to get me thinking more about calories and what's in food, but not in the healthiest of ways. And so, yeah, this just built over, I'd say, a decade of continuing on this path of thinking that I was being healthy, and it really ended up getting me to a place of having a disordered relationship with food and my body. Um, It turned into binge eating and emotional eating. And it it was really just a long zigzag journey of truly understanding uh, what was wrong, because I thought 
I was doing everything wrong. I thought something was wrong with me. And what I didn't realize is that it was dieting that was the culprit and it wasn't anything I was doing wrong. It was everything that I was learning and reading about how to be healthy. And so I'd say my wellness journey truly started when I healed my relationship with food. And not to discount everything that happened along the way, I learned so much about myself. And for a long time, I thought I was just an an emotional eater. So through that, I really learned how to cope with my emotions better and to look beyond the food that I was using as kind of support and pleasure in my life. And so I learned a lot through that. But in the end, what I learned was that it was the restricting and the dieting and naming foods good and bad and and not eating enough. And so yeah, I'd say my wellness journey truly did start when I truly healed my relationship with food. I think that's such a powerful story and one that so many of us can relate to. I'm a 90s baby myself and I remember the magazines and even just looking, you know, with all of the 90s nostalgia and 2000s nostalgia now, some of the things on some of our favorite shows, the way that they talked about people's bodies was totally inappropriate and unacceptable, but it shaped the way that we think about ourselves in a lot of ways. I I really do believe that. Yeah. So I think that's such a powerful story and I can totally relate too to maybe doing the quote unquote healthy thing, but for unhealthy reasons. I'd love to know with that journey for you as you were starting to heal that relationship, what did that look like? How did you kind of figure out that maybe that relationship was damaged and what were some of the things you did to heal that relationship? Yeah. So like I said, I, in the beginning, I thought I was an emotional eater and so I learned that I was using food to cope with loneliness or boredom and different things I was experiencing in my life. So I started to, you know, when a craving would come up, I would just sit with myself and ask, is there something deeper going on? Is there something else that I'm seeking that I'm looking for in the food? And then also, I, you know, I mean, I was binge eating for many years. So going in this circle of eating healthy all day and coming home at night and feeling so out of control and just eating all of the, and I'm in quotes right now, but all of the bad foods and just feeling out of control and then ending up in this place of feeling shame and guilt. Like, why do I do this? And keeps happening. Like, I can't even tell you the amount of times I wrote in my journal that this would be my last binge. And it never was. (laughs) So yeah, so I was dealing with the emotional aspect of emotional eating. But then I learned the reason that I was binge eating is because I was restricting. So I feel like my journey truly began then when I started to eat regular meals and learn how to look at foods in a more neutral way rather than categorizing them as good and bad. And so the journey really came full circle for me and and it's when i truly healed my relationship with food when i realized i needed to eat more and that categorizing the foods as good and bad is what was drawing to them to me more because i was putting them on a pedestal yeah i can definitely relate to that i know it's kind of like when your parents tell you you can't date this guy and then <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, that's what you want. And it's kind of a simplified, you know, example. But when someone says this is bad, you shouldn't have this. A lot of times I think, you know, you're going to want it more and putting a morality to certain foods, 
it's really, it's really harmful to us. So I love that you were able to learn about how you were using foods in these ways, because I do think we use foods to, to self-medicate in a lot of ways that I think the binge eating too, it can really, I, I've struggled with this myself and the cycle that you get into the cycle of the shame and the guilt. It, it's so relatable. It's something that we all, not that we all, but so, that so many of us fall into. And so uncovering what some of those emotions were, I think is incredibly powerful. So I'd love to know, um, what are some tips? Because now you are a diet recovery coach, yeah, which is an amazing full circle story. And I'd love to talk also more about how you've gotten into that. But as a coach, how do you help others maybe breaking free from binge eating? Yeah. So with binge eating specifically, the first thing that I make sure with all of my clients is that they're eating at least three regular meals a day and as many snacks as, as they feel hungry for. That's the foundation to make sure that you're not binge eating because binge eating is simply your body's response to deprivation, to not feeding yourself enough food. So the binge is literally your body's way of screaming at you that it's starving and it needs food. And that's why it feels like this out of control feeling because you're just so hungry by the time, you know, the binging is happening, that it can feel out of control because your body is starving. So I would say, yeah, just the first foundation that I teach my clients is to make sure that they're eating enough throughout the day so that they're not so hungry at nighttime. That makes a lot of sense. And I'd love to know, I mean, there are certain foods where I personally feel that I almost have no breaks with them, where other foods I feel like I can eat as you know, as much of it as maybe my body needs, and I have a logical stopping point. But then others, you know, when the popcorn comes out, the chips come out, there are some where I can mindlessly eat them the entire day. And I'd love to know, are there, you know, you you talk about like good foods and bad foods, and they're not necessarily being at least morally bad foods. How do we kind of shift that a little bit so that we're not grabbing like a whole bag of something that's maybe going to take us much past the point of, of hunger? Well, I think first of all, just destigmatizing using food for comfort. It is a way that can bring us pleasure. And and maybe this sounds crazy to some people. I know in the beginning uh, when I was learning this, it sounded a little crazy to me. But yeah, like it's okay to emotionally eat sometimes. And it's okay to eat past the point of fool. Like there's no necessarily doing this right. You know, like in dieting, I think we're always like looking for the right way to do something. And Mm -hmm. this journey is really about coming back to harmony with your body and learning how to trust yourself again, because our bodies are so much smarter than we realize. And when we're trying to control our food and control what our bodies need, we're just in a war against our bodies. And so I think uh, just coming back to your question is really destigmatizing emotional eating, destigmatizing snacking, and, and all of that is okay. I think that makes a lot of sense because we, you know, we do a lot of things for comfort, and that doesn't necessarily make them bad or good, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the most nutritious food. You can still enjoy it, especially if it's going to, if it really is going to make you feel better. Then, yeah, destigmatizing that. I think that is such excellent advice. In the food healing journey, you can both face an emotion 
while you're eating. So it doesn't have to be this thing where it's, you know, I have to use this other coping mechanism and I can't eat. On this journey, you you know, you can get to a place where you just use another coping mechanism instead of food and it, you know, that feels easier. But yeah, there's just no right way to go about recovery. And, and I think, again, just destigmatizing coping with food is okay. I think so too. And I really, I really do love that advice, especially, again, you, you can face that emotion. And I, I'd love to know what, what other coping mechanisms do you help instill in your clients just to kind of help them through whatever they're dealing with? I guess it really depends on the client. This is just what's coming to my mind right now. But for example, breath work is a really great technique for me. And it really helps me with emotional release. And it helps me kind of just clear out whatever was going on before that moment. But I recently took a client through it. And it, at least at this point, like it wasn't for them. They felt like they were having a panic attack while I was taking them through it. And I was happy that they listened to themselves and stopped the the intense breathing. So it's interesting working with clients and just finding something that works for me might not always work for other people. That was just something that came to, came to my mind first. But so breath work is a technique that I love using that really helps just release emotion. Meditation is another tool that I love teaching my clients. In the beginning of all of my sessions, I lead my clients through a little grounding breathing exercise. And it's amazing just how a few seconds can really get you to a more grounded place. Because, I mean, when you want to use food to cope, what's coming up is anxiety. It's what you're feeling. And, you know, the food is this pleasurable thing that shifts you out of feeling that anxiousness. So there's so many different tools that work for different people to help them with the anxiety that they're feeling. I love that. And I do think that the meditation and the breath work, I found those to be really helpful for me personally, because they just bring you back into the moment. I think most of the time when I, I haven't really struggled with the binging as much in recent years, but it was something I really dealt with a lot for a long time. And I find with that, and even just with my anxiety in general, because I definitely still struggle with the anxiety it's when your mind is not in the present moment. You are not really anxious in the present moment most of the time. It's kind of thinking about what could happen or what has happened. And I think that the meditation and breath work are really great practices to bring you back into that moment and to realize that you're safe or you're okay and, and all of that. So I think those are both really just great techniques for us to have in our tool belt in general you know, regardless of whether you struggle, you know, with your relationship with food and your body, but I think just so powerful for this as well. I'd love to know, I think food freedom is something that, you know, you hear about it a lot. It's something I think we all wish that we had. Talk to me about what food freedom is and a little bit about how we can get to that point. Yeah. So I think food freedom is really about getting to a place with food where there's just a feeling of relaxation around food. And it's just like this ah, kind of feeling the kind of getting away from the anxiousness. And like you were saying, there's a lot of living in the past and present uh, with anxiety. And I think this is true for when you're struggling with your relationship with food. It's a lot of, oh, what did I just 
eat or what did I eat yesterday mm-hmm. and basing your current food choices off of yesterday's food choices or telling yourself that you're going to work out more tomorrow because you ate so much tonight. And so I think it's really, like you said, like being in the present moment with and being attuned to what your body is telling you. And then also just that feeling of relaxation around food and not carrying so much anxiousness and emotion around food. Why do you think food has is such an impact on us like this? Because I know for me personally, I don't feel like I haven't had this polarizing of feelings about a lot of things, but food is one where we just, we really do attach such a morality to good and bad. And you're so right. Like even just thinking about what did I eat yesterday and now I'm going to have to work out twice as hard or mm-hmm. what have you. And maybe it, we should be working out because it's good for our minds and it's, it's helping us to get stronger and all of those great things. You know, there are all these great benefits to it aside from erasing the calories from the day before. Mm-hmm. Why is it that food has such a hold on us in this way? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a biological need. So we need food to survive and to keep ourselves alive. So I think through what we learn about food is how we attach morality and emotion and everything behind it. But our need for food is is a yeah, it's a biological need. Like it's our it's a survival mm-hmm. instinct. It's it's part of of who we are as humans. Yeah. And and it's one of those things when you talk about different addictions and things like that too. You could go your whole life without a cigarette or without alcohol. And you're still going to survive, you know, your body does not depend on that. But with food, you need to have food. So we all need to figure out how we can be at ease, I think, with our food and not be, even though I've come a long way in my own journey, I still get that anxiety about what's going to be on the menu and am I going to be able to eat anything at this place and what have you. And I think the emotions that have been instilled in us since we were children and in those magazines and Certainly the 100 calorie packs, we had plenty of those growing up too. Yeah, I I definitely can see that. And I think a lot of it comes down to our relationships with our bodies. What are your tips? Because I'm sure you must have a lot of a, a lot of clients who maybe have struggled with eating disorders in the past, or or at least disordered patterns. I think many of us do. What tips do you have? How do you help them to develop that relationship with their bodies in a in a more positive or at least in a more neutral way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you said neutral, because I think it's hard to go, like, hating our bodies and loving our bodies are are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And to ask someone to go from hating their body to loving their body is, is a big jump. And so I think getting to a place where you just feel neutral towards your body and just grateful for what it does for you is an important first step before you go trying to love your body. Mm-hmm. And so as as we're starting to develop that, because I think that can be so overwhelming, you know, we see ourselves in the mirror every single day or now with social media, even even the pictures that we didn't post, but that we were tagged in, you, you see the angle and it's like, oh my gosh, how we, we start to, you know, attach our feelings to those as well. What is your advice for developing that relationship and for developing even that neutrality toward it where you're not beating yourself up over how a picture looks or how what the scale might say or how you look in the mirror that day? Yeah. 
Yeah, a few things are coming to my mind. I just want to share in my journey when I uh, I got to this place of realizing how mean I was to myself, just to myself in general and towards my body. And when I really took the time to sit with it, I got very emotional and started crying. And it was and it wasn't the last time that I cried, you know, for, for how mean I had been to myself. But when I got to this place, I started working towards forgiving myself and really just cultivating a more compassionate and accepting relationship with myself. And so this can take the form of, you know, writing a letter to yourself, forgiving yourself. Like it's not your fault that the little things that that your mom said to you when you were younger and and the things that you learned in the magazines and what was popular the fad diets and everything like none of that was your fault and it's okay and so yeah just getting to a place of forgiveness with yourself and also uh something i have been, i've heard that i don't remember exactly where I heard it. So I can't quote who it was, but I will say I can't take credit for it. But the line of my body is none of my business. I really like that line a lot because like I was saying earlier, our bodies are so much smarter than we realize. And when we live in a larger body, it can we you know, can go through a different healing journey with body image, because it is hard to live in a society, a fat phobic society that we don't Mm -hmm. feel accepted in. But the line of my body is none of my business is my body is going to do what it's going to do. And it's going to land where it wants to land. And that's none of my business. I don't have business trying to control that or change that it just is what it is. So coming to acceptance with that. And then continuing, I think body image work is honestly, like, and even, you know, food healing, it's all like a lifelong journey. So also being patient with yourself and gentle and kind with yourself and really learning how to be compassionate towards yourself. I think that's so powerful and just something it's something that we all need to do more of because I think about my own inner narrator and what I've said to myself over the years. And I've always said when I really think about it, that I would never stay friends with someone who spoke to me the way that I've spoken to me in some of those times. So to kind of recognize that, you know, maybe even talking to ourselves as if we were a friend, which is why I really love that, you know, letter to yourself. I feel like it's so much more powerful when you're hearing it in your own words to you. Yeah. Yeah. Just telling yourself that it's okay because you're so right. The society, I mean, and it, it is hard, I think, especially for anyone in a larger body in today's society, the airplane seats are so tiny and the way that everything is built out, the way that clothing, you know, the, the average women's sizes versus what's actually available in the stores is just, it's really frustrating. And I think it can, it can be really hard to get discouraged, even if you have a positive relationship because society is just not kind mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. How do we break free from that diet culture when, when the world is so wrapped up in it? Yeah, that's definitely a tough one because it is still all around us. I was reading somewhere in your bio that you like reality television and I yeah. also like reality television. 
But, you know, since healing my relationship with food, it's just really interesting to watch TV now. And in a lot of the shows I watch, just hearing diet talk come up or restriction come up. And yeah, it definitely is tough because we live in a society that normalizes disordered eating, basically. And so I think really, I think an important one that I teach my clients is one, to kind of go through a social media detox where you start, or I guess first you unfollow anyone who doesn't make you feel good or promotes dieting or or any anything related to dieting and detox that from your feed and start following people who are talking about food freedom and people living in larger bodies and even people in disabled bodies and all different kinds of bodies just to widen your view of of the diversity of what exists in our society and to celebrate the differences that are all around us. I think we tend to not celebrate those differences and it's really so beautiful to learn from so many different people that do exist in in our world. So I think that would be one. And then also, I think what's so cool about the food healing journey is that there are so many foundational things that you learn that are applicable to life in general. And so I think one is learning how to have boundaries and to speak those boundaries to people. So you don't have to I know sometimes it can be hard with family who is dieting and diet talking can come up and especially around the holidays and it can be a conversation that if you're in your food healing journey sometimes can be a little nervous for those conversations and it's okay to not participate in those conversations and walk away or tell the person that you're choosing not to talk about this, that you're trying something different right now. And so, yeah, learning how to have boundaries and communicate your needs, I think, are a cool thing that in your food healing journey is such a foundational thing for life, just learning boundaries and how to communicate for yourself. That is such a powerful one and something that I I personally struggle with the boundary piece, but I think that that's something, I mean, that is so huge and just a really kind of, kind of an interesting example of it was just being in our family around the holidays one year and one of the older relatives, it was making a lot of comments about people's weight. And my sister finally turned to her and said, Hey, that's really not appropriate. And you shouldn't be talking about that. And we were all a little bit nervous because this person is in their 90s and we're a little afraid, like, you know, we don't want to hurt feelings or what have you. And she said, I'm so sorry. And she never did it again. Mm. And I think sometimes when we do put a boundary forward, a lot of people are willing to respect it and they just don't know, or maybe, you know, they have their own hangups when it comes to food and weight and diet and all of that, that that's what's coming to the forefront for them. But I think when you kind of make it clear, hey, this is not acceptable to me, this is not appropriate to talk to me about, I I think that can make such a huge difference. And it just brings that awareness to the table. And I think the social media detox is powerful too, because when we watch TV, I, I think it is getting better. But a lot of times the shows that we watch the movies, all of that, there isn't a whole lot of body diversity. You know, certainly I watch a lot of The Bachelor and hearing that there was a story that came out not too long ago that there was a girl who was about a size six who um, they had asked, the, the casting directors had asked her to stand up on a video call and they decided not to have her come on the show. She had made it through several rounds. 
And so the thought was that it was because she was a size six as opposed to a size zero or two or what have you. And it's just so ridiculous that so many of these shows, while we are promoting, you know, we are getting a little bit more diverse. It's definitely better than it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but we have a long way to go. And especially as far as body diversity goes. And for me, when you're following all of these people who have trainers and are paid to look a certain way and to do all of these things, and they have a lot of help along the way too. And and some of them are probably not even doing it in the healthiest of ways. It can be really hard, I think, because we think, wow, everybody else is doing quote unquote better than I am. Mm-hmm. But to understand that we are all unique and that not everybody looks a certain way and that there that there is diversity in how our bodies are and, and all of that. I think that has been so powerful for me as I've started to follow new people and realizing again that, hey, most people are not a size zero, not a size two. And when we embrace all bodies and realize that there's beauty in everybody, that helps us improve our relationships with ourselves. Yeah. And I think it can be so hard on social media because there's so many apps and things out there now that you can literally Mm -hmm. change what you look like completely on the internet. And so I Mm -hmm. think it can be so hard because you may, you know, see this person and you're like, I want to, you know, I wish I looked like them, but they don't even look like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I I've like seriously just been so blown away in not not a good way about how much of that is out there on the internet where you can literally change the size of your waist and and all these things it's just so unhealthy and really unbelievable it really it really is I mean I know that growing up with the magazines it was definitely hard but then they started to come out with articles about the airbrushing and some of the photo editing so at least some of that came to light where we thought okay if it's on the cover of a magazine it's probably not a hundred percent the way that it appears to us but we don't think that with our social media because of course we're not professionals we're not or maybe, you know, of course, some of the people we follow might be, but we're not, you know, having professional editors come and and do our photos. So everybody thinks that everything is real. But I certainly edit for lighting a lot of the time. But at the same time, when when you see some of those filters, it's really can make you look like a different person. And that actually happened on a 90 Day Fiance. If, you know, as far as the reality TV goes, there was a There was a woman who was doing a lot of the filter. I mean, I think that's actually happening this season as well. But there was a woman who was doing a lot of filters. And the guy showed up at the airport to pick her up with a T-shirt with her face on it. But it did not look like her because it was one of the, you know, one of the Snapchat filters. But that's what we think when we see people. And you're so right. They don't actually look like their own photos. Yeah. Yeah. And also just bringing it back around to the body diversity and getting to a place of body neutrality is just, I think awareness is the key to any change. So kind of just noticing if, you know, you are comparing yourself and, and wanting to be someone different from yourself and just really bringing more awareness to that and you know, maybe taking a break from social media or the places that are making you feel that way while you are healing your relationship with your body. I think that's such a great point too, because we don't have, unless you work in social media, you don't have to be on Instagram or at least you don't have to be on Instagram for the whole day, or we can remove the apps from our phone. We can definitely take ourselves out of the equation a little bit more because 
yeah, sometimes that can be really harmful for us. If we're not getting enjoyment out of it, at the very least, it's a time suck. But, you know, at the worst, it could really negatively impact you and your and your mental health. Mm-hmm. Now, something else I'd like to touch on, too, I think that this can be a little bit, con- you know, not controversial, but something that can be heavily debated as people work toward that body positivity and body neutrality. As far as weight loss goes, is that something that we can do in a healthy way? And if so, how how do you approach that with a client? Yeah, that is a very controversial question. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people have different viewpoints on this. And I really, I think, you know, whatever anyone wants to do with their bodies is their business. I'm not here to say that you should or shouldn't do something. But I do think that any intentional weight loss, there is control around food and and what you're doing and i think that it's hard to really listen to your body when you are in a place of controlling your food and also the fact that we have learned that weight loss is healthy and is something that we should go after and it can be very unhealthy for our bodies to try mm-hmm. to lose weight, to be, you know, our bodies have, it's called your set point weight. Your body has a weight that it it's just happy at. Um, you know, when I was dieting, my weight was always yo-yoing and fluctuating. And since I've healed my relationship with food, my weight, I mean, you know, I don't really weigh myself anymore, but my weight doesn't fluctuate anymore. And so I think it comes back to the body acceptance of working on body acceptance and body neutrality instead of trying to get to a weight that you feel, I mean, whatever, whatever's underneath it, it can be wanting to be loved and accepted and really doing some deeper work with that. Because I think anyone with a history of disordered eating, I think intentional weight loss, there can just be not healthy side effects from what intentional weight loss brings. So I think, I think, yeah, it's just a complex question. Because again, for yeah, for anyone who's struggled with disordered eating, it can be a touchy kind of thing that could get you back into a place with disordered eating. It really is a tough one because I've I've personally found myself incorporating a lot more nutrition and doing things that on their own might be positive and might be healthy, but at the same time, you know, maybe the intention behind it and some of the emotions behind it might not really be, you know, the quote unquote right reasons. And there, it's interesting. I saw something online not too long ago. So many people going to the doctor, you have any kind of issue. The first thing that they might say is, well, did you try losing weight, even though you have other health concerns going on? And I saw this one post from somebody who basically lost like 100 or 200 pounds just so that the doctor would stop telling them that they needed to lose weight mm-hmm. and so that they would finally test them for what they actually needed. And then it turned out that they actually had a lot of health problems that weren't being addressed that they were finally willing to test them for, which is totally nuts and something that's completely wrong with our health system. So it really, it really is frustrating to see, you know, living in the, living in this world and, and having, you know, all these messages coming at us because you're so right. I've been different weights at different, 
points where um, sometimes the heavier weight, I was actually living a much healthier lifestyle and mm-hmm. treating myself better. And sometimes I wasn't. So I think it really, the number on the scale really does not tell you what your actual health is and how, how your, how your body is actually operating. It doesn't, it doesn't really tell a whole story and it kind of mostly just tells kind of what you ate the night before and how much sodium might have been in it, to be honest. It really does not have a huge bearing on how healthy you actually are. If somebody does want to improve their health, though, and maybe they have had disordered patterns and they're looking to break free of that, but they still want to, you know, have a little bit more structure, start to eat more, you know, incorporate more nutrition into their diet. Because I think with the binges, I know for me personally, I've never, I've never binged on fruit or anything like that. It's always been things that are not contributing to my health overall. And I've had times in my life and I've known other people as well, where because, because of the dieting, you were actually malnourished, Mm -hmm. even if you were getting quote unquote enough food. Um, so I'd love to know as we're starting to rebuild those relationships with our bodies and our health, how do we incorporate those healthier habits without going back down the rabbit hole a little bit as far as the restriction goes and the control goes? Yeah. Well, I think first it's important to broaden your view of what health is. There's so much talk about health and related to nutrition. And I think that we're when we only focus on what we're eating, we are being almost narrow-minded and missing out on what health actually is. And so just to broaden your view of health, it's not just what you're eating, but I think what is more important than what you're eating is your relationship with food and how you think about it. And so even something that isn't doesn't have the most nutrients in it, if it's something that brings you joy and it's adding pleasure into your life, that is healthy. Just because it doesn't have the highest nutrient content to it doesn't mean that something's not healthy because it is providing you with a feeling of joy or, or pleasure in your life. So I think it's important, one, to broaden your view of health, like having good relationships in your life, a good, you know, a good relationship with yourself. And yeah, so I think one is broadening your viewpoint of health. And also, I totally understand the fear of just letting go of dieting completely and eating whatever you want. It can feel really scary because dieting provides us with a structure and telling us what to eat and when to eat. And so I totally understand how it can feel really scary to just drop all of that and like the spectrum kind of thing that we talked Mm -hmm. about like disordered eating to food freedom there's definitely steps to take to get there and so what I teach my clients is intuitive eating which can be a really helpful thing to learn when you're coming out of diet culture. It's kind of like these training wheels so that you don't feel like, you know, it's that kind of structure that you crave in dieting is what intuitive eating can bring. And with intuitive eating, the last principle is gentle nutrition. So I think letting go of the nutrition side and being so focused on nutrition and really learning how to have 
a healthy relationship with all food, legalizing all foods, is the most healthy to focus on before you get to a place where you're really focusing on nutrition. And that doesn't mean that you're just eating whatever you want in your mind. It's a process of listening to your body and respecting your body by what I was saying in the beginning of feeding it regular meals and giving it what it needs to be nourished. So yeah, so intuitive eating is a nice segue into food freedom because it's, like I said, that structure that we... I think, look for when we break free from dieting. I love that. And so that last, that last principle is the gentle nutrition, but what, what are some of those steps that we take to get to that place of intuitive eating? Because I think it's something I've heard a lot of different definitions and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on how we can kind of get there. Yeah. So I think it's, there's 10 principles of intuitive eating and I loosely use the intuitive eating principles with my clients because I think what also can happen is where you kind of turn intuitive eating into a diet where it's like, Mm -hmm. I have to do this right. And it's about listening to my body correctly and honoring my hunger in a, in the right way. And again, letting go of that need to feel like you're doing it right. When we're in a place of learning how to trust our bodies again and listen to our bodies, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. And so, I mean, the first principle of intuitive eating is rejecting the diet mentality. So that's kind of what we've been talking about a little bit with Mm -hmm. breaking free from dieting. But it's really about making peace with food and making peace with food. There's so much in there. And so without going into all of the principles, because you can go to intuitiveeating.org and and learn more about it and read the principles, but it's, you know, we've been talking about a lot of them, like rejecting the diet mentality and honoring your hunger by feeding yourself throughout the day and nourishing meals and making peace with food and making peace with yourself and learning how to cope with your emotions with kindness and respect your body. And yeah, so I feel like we really have been talking about all of them throughout this whole podcast. Um, But again, intuitiveeating.org, you can learn more details about each principle there. I'm definitely going to link that in the show notes, but I think I think that's so helpful. And I do think, you know, as we kind of talked about throughout our conversation today, so many of these principles, I think, can apply to other areas, especially coping with your emotions with kindness, not just with how, you know, maybe we use food in certain ways, but we we beat ourselves up all the time for having a quote unquote negative emotion that really is just, it's an emotion, but we beat ourselves up all the time for you know, not reacting in the right way to to a situation or for having emotions at all. And I think that these principles in general, I, I do think that they can be applied to so many areas of our lives. So I really love that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was another another part of my journey was neutralizing emotions too. And mm. not looking at, you know, like, it's okay to feel bad sometimes, like that is normal. And it's not something to make go away. It's normal to feel not great for a day or for a week and then and then feel good again. And, and so really neutralizing what can be perceived as negative emotions. I think just like with food, it's like a bile, it's our, it's part of being human. And so really just like accepting uh, these normal parts of, of what it means to be human. And I love talking about that kind of stuff. And I love that 
as a society, I feel like we are getting more vulnerable in sharing these things that we experience as human beings and learning that everyone has a bad day and, you know, everyone experiences sadness and fear and just the array of emotions. So I love that we, you know, are getting to a place where we all feel more comfortable to talk about that. And I think it helps normalize those feelings as well. I completely agree because I know I grew up with the, and, and I think so many of us have, if you have any interest in personal development, there is a lot of toxic positivity out there that we need to, you know, if you feel negative, you need to be grateful immediately for all of the great things that you have. And I do think gratitude is incredibly powerful, but almost discounting our emotions entirely and then turning to food, which again, I think, I think that you brought a great point that food can be a a nice coping mechanism and it can make us feel good and we shouldn't feel shameful about it. But, you know, I've also had times where I ate to the point of being sick, where at that point it wasn't comfortable for me. It didn't feel good for me anymore. And instead, sometimes it's just been a, a hard lesson for me, but something, you know, people always say the only way out is through mm-hmm. and just letting that. ourselves, yeah, just kind of letting ourselves feel it. And I think the pandemic taught me that just not having the same distractions that I had to sometimes just feel the thing and go through it. And the emotion eventually passed. And things got better. And to know that and to know that, hey, if I let myself, if I let my, and I think it's the same thing with food. If I let myself eat whatever food it is that I want, that doesn't mean I'm going to eat every single thing in existence. (laughs) And the same thing, if I let myself feel the sad emotion, I'm not going to be drowning in sadness forever. I can feel it. And then, and there are going to be better days. Yeah. And I think another important thing to mention with destigmatizing emotional eating is there's two things that are important to mention is one, even if we are using food as a coping mechanism, it's still important to face that emotion or whatever is coming up. So not to use food where you're just pushing it away and not dealing with it at all, it is still important to face whatever is coming up. And like you said, it can feel a lot less like not so big when we actually do face it. Like our minds are really good at making things feel a lot bigger than they are. And, you know, emotions really can pass pretty quickly. And again, like (laughs) the only way out is through. And so if you don't deal with the emotion or whatever's coming up for you, that is still there. And then also I just wanted to mention that when we do truly heal our relationship with food, make peace with food and neutralize it. When we do use food as a coping mechanism, like you're not just pushing this emotion down, you're actually enjoying this food and like finding the pleasure in it because it is a pleasurable thing. And so Mm -hmm. actually enjoying it because when we're at war with food and we emotionally eat, it's like we don't even really taste the food. And mm-hmm. we don't even, we don't get to enjoy it. And then we just get to this place of feeling shame and guilt around it. And so using food as a coping mechanism, you know, it is this pleasurable thing. So allowing it to be that pleasurable thing and actually enjoying it. I love that because there are so many foods that we have powerful memories associated with. If I could eat the chocolate cake that my grandmother used to make, you know, one more time, that would That would truly bring me joy. And we have memories with the foods we eat. They're part of cultures. They're part of our travels. And so to be able to really enjoy 
and you know sometimes use it to self soothe if we can do that in a way that that works for us that really is helping us and not again just masking and because I think when we're not tasting it, then you do spiral a little bit more into that shame and, and all of that. So, But I, I do think those are really important points. And I love what you said, too, about the vulnerability and just the fact that people are starting to talk about this more and recognizing that many of us, I, I would say the majority of people listening, I'm sure, have had some challenges when it's come to their relationships with their bodies and their relationships with foods simply because of the society that we're living in. And then we're, I think, 85% female audience as well. And certainly the expectations placed on women. <laughs> but for us to start to be open with one another and share our stories, and I, I think it makes those difficult emotions a lot easier just to know that we're not alone going through them. And I, I just wanted to mention, because when you are in this place of wanting to heal your relationship with food, like I was saying, it can feel really scary and almost alien-like to think that you could get to a place of keeping your binge food in the house and not eating all of it. And I just want to say, and maybe this sounds a little cliche, but it's the truth where it is possible to get to a place where foods are neutral and you don't feel out of control with food. And I just know when you are stuck in dieting and binging and all of that, it can feel so foreign and and scary and feeling like, oh, this couldn't work for me. But I just want to say that it is possible to get to that place, even if it feels like this can't work for me. Maybe this works for some people, but not for me. And I just want to say that intuitive eating is part of who we are as humans, just learning how to listen to our bodies again and be in harmony with our bodies again. And so I just want to say that it can feel hard and scary, but this can work for you and it it can work for everyone. I love that. And definitely something, you know, for me personally, going through my own journey, and I think so many people listening, these are just fantastic principles for us to start to incorporate a little bit more. And it does sound scary. Absolutely. Especially with the number of us that have had uh, my fitness pal on our phones at different points in our lives and the calorie tracking and the points and every fad diet that we've done. I think it does feel like kind of letting the training wheels off. But at the same time, um, I think just knowing that it's possible to get to that place is is empowering and freeing in itself and I really just appreciate your message and I think that this is something that you know there there are practices in here that all of us can start implementing to to improve that relationship so I I really thank you for that yeah now I would love to switch gears and just ask you a few of our rapid fire questions as well for the listeners to get to know you and then we'll start to get into a little bit of what you offer as well awesome sounds good Perfect. We've been talking about wellness in this episode. What would you say is your top wellness tip? My top wellness tip. I don't know if it's necessarily my top, but it's been something that I've been getting into recently is kind of setting the mood and vibe in my home. And it it kind of helps me switch gears. Like I really like having a salt lamp and candles and dimming the lights. And it's something I never really thought about before. And over the past few months, I've really been into this. And it's just so interesting to notice this like felt experience of a shift that I have when I set the mood in my apartment. I think our homes play such an important role in how we feel that we don't even realize, especially the amount of time that we spend there. 
so I, I think that's fantastic. I'm noticing myself, I, I've been keeping the lights a little bit lower at night and trying to wind down a little bit, although I'd love to get the salt lamp and start doing a little more of that. And I, I'm finding that it has such a powerful effect for me as well. Yeah. And just like even, you know, I look around my place and it it's so intentional, like the things I have in here and they just bring me so much joy and so kind of the setting the mood also just brings me joy and relaxation so just yeah setting my place up in a way that makes me feel good I love that and I don't think we've gotten that one before too awesome cool yeah (laughs) now on a completely different note where is your favorite travel destination this is a very very hard question. (laughs) I love traveling. I've backpacked in Europe and Asia. So I think it's a hard question because there's just so many different places that I love for different reasons. But I think the place that's coming to my mind right now is Italy. I just love the food and it's just such a beautiful country like on the, you know, the ocean and in the mountains and it's just so diverse. So I think I would choose Italy. It really is a beautiful country. I'm really wanting to book a trip now just listening. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful country though. Yeah. Now if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? I love butterflies. I just love how beautiful they are. And I also really resonate with the metamorphosis that they go through from being a caterpillar to becoming a butterfly. And it just, I really resonate with it in my life. And it helps me to just think about my life in a little bit of a different way when I think of myself as a butterfly. That's fantastic. I love that answer. And I, you know, I I think there's something so beautiful about the transformation when when you think about butterflies. And I am always very happy when I see a butterfly as well. But I I think that's just I, I love I love your thoughts behind that. Yeah, it's actually the logo of my business because I really feel like the food healing journey is is a metamorphosis and really is like the metamorphosis that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. That really is a great analogy. And I, I love that that's part of your logo too. I think butterflies are so beautiful in general. But then, yeah, again, like kind of the metaphor behind that. Yeah. Now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? I would really love to skip the learning part and just get to the place where I master either knowing how to play the guitar or the ukulele. I enjoy singing. I'm not I'm not going to go on American Idol tomorrow, <laughs> but I really <laughs> do enjoy singing. It really brings me joy and it makes me feel really good. And I think it would be really cool to be able to play an instrument and like play a song and sing to that song while I'm playing an instrument. But I've I've tried. I have a ukulele downstairs that's been in its case for a long time and I've <laughs> tried the guitar and it you really do have to stick with it. So if I could just master it and skip the learning part, that would be awesome. <laughs> I we might be the same person. I have a ukulele in my closet that I got in college and would love to learn how to play it. I, I found it really hurt my fingers, actually. And that's such a wimpy thing to say. But um, I, I would love to just know how to play it. And because uh, I, re- I really struggled through the learning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finally, what's next for you on your bucket list? Yeah, so I recently moved to Colorado, my 
partner and I were living in our van for the past year and just a few months ago settled in Colorado. And so I'm really excited. The spring is starting to come. I've been seeing green popping up and some flowers blooming. And I'm just really excited to be in a place that literally everywhere around me is where I want to visit. So I'm just, yeah, excited for the weather to warm up and to be able to go to all the places around me. The one I'm planning soon is to go to Moab, Utah. Oh, yeah, you're in such a beautiful part of the country. That's, um, you know, the Southwest in general is on my bucket list for sure. But I'm so jealous. I think you're in such a scenic, beautiful place. Yeah, it's a place I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I feel like I didn't explore so much of just the Northeast. Whenever I think of traveling in the U.S., I always love coming out West. It's always been my favorite. That's so cool and that that your bucket list is kind of where you live, and it's something that, you know, you've made a reality that you're able to incorporate into your life, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's been really awesome. That's fantastic. Well, I am very jealous and I'm excited to kind of follow your travels a little bit more. Um, Before I let you go, I would love to know where listeners can find you and also a little bit more about your practice and what you offer as a coach. I'm hosting a free workshop in April for anyone who is feeling out of control around food. Anyone who really resonated with this conversation today and wants to learn more. In the workshop, I'll be teaching the four foundational steps to heal your relationship with food and your body for good. That's going to be taking place on April 27th. You can sign up for this workshop on my website at www.samanthashermancoaching.com. And I'll be sending out the replay for anyone who can't join live. You can also follow my blog posts on my website and sign up for my email list where we can stay in touch and you'll get valuable content from me on all things food and body. Again, my website is www.samanthashermancoaching.com. I hope to see you there and I can't wait to connect. Perfect. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. That that workshop sounds fantastic. I'm going to have to check my schedule personally. But I just want to say again, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this a lot. I loved chatting with Sam about how we can really heal our relationships with food. I think body neutrality is such an important topic that we don't get into quite as often in this space, but even just neutralizing our own emotions can really play an important role in our healing journey. Sam has a lot to offer through her coaching practice and some really exciting things happening soon, like her workshop later this month. So if this conversation resonated with you, be sure to check out her website and learn more. I have linked Sam's information in the show notes, along with intuitiveeating.org in case you'd like to take a deeper dive on the topic and learn more about that. Now it is time for our Ask Me Anything segment, and our listener asks, can you please talk about traveling post-pandemic? I'm nervous. First of all, thank you so much for the question. I have been very nervous myself. I've been on the cautious side for the past two years, and I've done very limited travel since the pandemic first hit. I really had only traveled by car throughout the state of Florida for the longest time, and it was only just last weekend that I took my first flight. So I was definitely nervous. I can definitely relate on this. The 
airports are starting to get a lot more crowded, so I don't think being nervous is a bad thing at all. One thing that I did that alleviated some of my stress was using this time to get myself approved for TSA pre-check so I could get through the security lines faster and not be around quite as many people. I am so glad that I did it. It was a pretty painless process to get it set up, and it really got rid of my anxiety when it comes to being in long lines, which I've had even since before the pandemic. Now, you're still required to wear a mask in the airport and on planes, so that definitely helps. But if I had to do the whole thing over, I would have brought an N95 instead of my cloth masks. So that's something I know for my next flight for sure. Once you're in the place you want to go, I think there are some ways you can be a little safer too. So if you're going to indoor attractions that are ticketed, try to get timed entry if you can so that you're able to just walk right up and not be in line with so many people for long periods of time. If you can't tell, I think this must be a common theme here. I really do not like lines. Do as much as you can outdoors if there are a lot of outdoor activities available where you're going and try to find out the safety protocols for the places that you're staying. Also, for this one, do as I say, not as I do, but take your vitamins. I did take chlorella throughout my trip, but vitamin C and D are also really crucial for immunity, so try to pack those along with you. Of course, this was only my first trip, so I will definitely share more on this topic once I've traveled a little bit more, but I hope that this answer was helpful. Now, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, whether it's about travel, career, wellness, you name it, please feel free to send it my way. My email address is Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, at wellnessandwanderlust.net. And my Instagram handle is wellnessandwanderlustblog. You're always welcome to send me a DM. As always, I just want to thank you for tuning in and for sharing this part of your day with me. If you have a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, or if you yourself would like to be a guest, please feel free to reach out to me. You have my contact information. And don't forget, one of the best ways that you can lend your support to any podcast is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so that others can find the show better, so that it shows up in the algorithms. It really helps podcasters out. Out and it only takes a few minutes out of your day. So if you are a longtime listener or this episode really resonated with you, I would so love to hear your thoughts. I hope you all have a fantastic day and I will see you next week.